Welcome to A Look Ahead. We're delighted you've decided to join us. We study the Sabbath School lessons as prepared by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and this series is entitled Rest in Christ. And this is lesson number seven in that series for August 14 of 2021, entitled Rest, Relationships, and Healing. And if you were with us last week, you remember we talked about approximately the first half of the story of Joseph. We're going to continue with the story of Joseph this week. And as usual, we like to begin with a word of prayer. Our wonderful Father, we have so many things for which to be thankful. Yet we know that our world is coming up to times when things will be very difficult for anyone who wants to be faithful to you. Now, as we read the story of Joseph and think of all the difficulties he went through, and yet how wonderful that story came out, may it be an inspiration for all who participate here and who are listening is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to cover the second half of the Joseph story. We've already talked about the multiple unfortunate events in his childhood, the early life being favored by his father, betrayed by his brothers, being sold into Egyptian slavery, being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, spending two years in prison. How's that for a start? <laughs> Joseph got that incredible break after intercepting, I'm sorry, interpreting a dream for the Pharaoh. He was elevated to the number two position in Egypt. He was given the responsibility of preserving the excess food produced by Egypt during the seven years of plenty, so they would have food to eat for the following seven years in famine. Well, he was given an Egyptian wife. I don't know whether he had any choice in that, but he got one. They had two children that we know about, Manasseh and Ephraim. Were there any girls? We have no idea. Seven years of plenteous crops had been harvested and stored for the benefit of the Egyptians and any others who might need food because of the famine. Do you think that they planned to save up the food for the neighboring countries? Well, I wondered about that. And and the question is, well, neighboring countries, well, if you look to the east, if you look to the south, there's basically no one there. To the north is the Mediterranean. To the east, except for Palestine, in, in those days, there was virtually nobody. So, I, I, and I don't think the people in, I don't know, I think the people all the way down Ethiopia had drought, and if so, would they have tried even to come to Egypt? I've wondered about that same question, but. Anyway, two years into the famine, our story for this week begins. The famine affected Palestine as well as Egypt. Jacob and his family ran out of food. I, I, I lived for 17 years in Africa, and I spent most of my time working in rural areas amidst the subsistence farmers in Kenya, Tanzania, and uh, Zambia. And, you know, the subsistence farmers I worked among, they could barely make it to the next year. You know, it was about time for the harvest to come up. Uh, the, the, the children are already having malnutrition. I mean, what would you do if you had two years or three years or four years of famine? It's beyond me. Joseph had to deal with thousands of people coming and asking for food. They had come not only from Egypt, but also from the variety of other nations around seeking help. And we don't know 
which ones those were. What about the Mediterranean Sea? They've been traversing that for a long time. Yeah. They found a lot of old wrecks. Yep. That's also too. Yeah, Egypt used to bear while was the breadbasket for, for the Mediterranean. Yeah. Um, perhaps the Egyptians were dealt with by lesser dignitaries. We, we don't know. But these foreigners were brought to Joseph himself. Imagine the emotions going through Joseph's mind when his ten brothers showed up in front of him. If you had been Joseph, do you think you could have controlled your emotions at that point? And what would be your first emotion? Anger? Revenge. Pity? Love? Jim, can you tell us what the Bible says there? Genesis chapter 42, verses 7 to 20. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he acted as if he did not know them. He asked them harshly, Where do you come from? We have come from Canaan to buy food, they answered. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. He remembered the dreams he had dreamt about them and said, You are spies. You have come to find out where our country is weak. No, sir, they replied. We have come as your slaves to buy food. We are all brothers. We are not spies, sir. We are honest men. Joseph said to them, No, no. you have come to find out where our country is weak. They said, We were twelve brothers in all, sir, sons of our, sons of the same man in the country of, land of Canaan. Our brother is dead, and the youngest is now with our father. It is just as I said, Joseph answered, your spies. This is how you will be tested. I swear by the name of the king that you will never leave unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and ask him. Get him. Get him. And get him. The, The rest of you will be kept under guard until the truth of what you say can be tested. Otherwise, as sure as the king lives, you are spies then he will put them in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man, and I will spare your lives on one condition, to prove that you are honest. One of you will stay in the prison where you have been kept. The rest of you may go and take back to your starving families the corn that you have brought. Then you must bring your youngest brother to me. This will prove that you have been telling me the truth, and I will not put you to death. They agreed to this. American Bible Society, 1992. And when they got home and said to their father, Where is Simeon? And then they told him, Well, we're not going to get any more food unless we take Benjamin back to Egypt. And he said, Absolutely not. Right? Probably. And was it Judah says to him, it's better that one die. <laughs> it's similar to the yeah. story with Caiaphas. You yeah. see, rather than the whole bunch of us, better that one die. We, don't, we do not know why this conversation extended over three days. We, we just don't know whether Joseph left them completely alone and then finally three days later he came or whether there was some conversation that went on. Clearly Joseph was thinking of ways to test his brothers. We do not know what kind of a translator Joseph used during these conversations. Almost certainly it would have been an Egyptian who spoke Hebrew. Why do you think the brothers did not recognize Joseph for his voice? 
It is true. Not, not recognizing him is understandable. But, you know, I can recognize voices from 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't know why. It was, they, it was so far, I think, from their thinking that they, they it didn't even come. To, if they had thought about it, I think they would have said, that sounds like Joseph. I don't think they even thought about it. a different language. Yes. Yeah. And he probably had a different tone in the position he was in. Yeah. Well. They were used to him being arrogant. (laughs) True. It was was true that he was more than twice as old as when they last saw him. He would have been shaven and dressed as an Egyptian commander. Well, obviously Joseph's questions were designed not only to challenge the brothers to see how they would respond, but also to find out as much information as he could, he could about his family back in Canaan. Especially his father, I'm sure. Why do you think Joseph had the brothers imprisoned? Well, they were accused of being spies, right? Make, so what do you do with spies? Make them sweat. <laughs> How do you think they were treated in prison? No doubt Joseph had power over their lives. At that point, he could have had them killed. We do not know how old Benjamin was at that time. Joseph had been 17 when he was sold into slavery. It was 22 years later at this encounter. Certainly, Joseph must have been wondered what condition Benjamin was in at home. Was Benjamin being treated the same way he had been treated? Was his elderly father treating Benjamin very differently and he treated the other brothers? There is no question about the fact that what the brothers did to Joseph would be considered abuse. No Christian should be involved in abuse or even tolerate abuse happening around him or her if there is anything she or he can do about it. I mean, and, and for those of you who are involved in the healthcare field, abuse is rampant in our society these days. Jesus himself told us how he feels about those less fortunate who are neglected and abused. Carrie? Reading from Matthew chapter 25, verses 41 through 46. Jesus said in brackets, Then he will say to those on his left, Away from me, you that are under God's curse. Away to the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, but you would not feed me. Thirsty, but you would not give me drink. Was a stranger, but you would not welcome me in your home. Naked, but you would not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, but you would not take care of me. Then they will answer him, When, Lord, did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, or naked or sick or in the prison, and would not help you? The king will reply, I tell you, whenever you refuse to help one of these least important ones, you refuse to help me. These then will be sent off to eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. That's from the Good News Bible. Yeah, and this is the parable of the sheep and the goats, as you remember. So what does the, what does the original language, the Greek, say about you'll be sent off to eternal punishment. Is that the way it should really be interpreted, or is that... Well, it, it, it'll say, I'm sure it says, uh, probably hellfire in the original Greek. I, um, let me just see how quickly we could come up with that. Um, well, because, you know, that that just doesn't sound like Jesus talking. The, the, the picture that we have of a gentle, meek Jesus saying, you know, you'll be sent off to eternal punishment. Yeah. Okay, if you think of privacy. 
and you gave me nothing. I was strange, and you took me out of the hell. Forty-five, forty-six. Yeah, I'm getting there. Everlasting punishment. That's what it says. Hmm. Whatever that means. You can see the Greek there. I want to see what they to punish with the implication of resulting severe suffering. To punish or punishment. That specifically talks about Matthew twenty-five forty-six. Okay. So, in dealing with others around us, we need to remember two very important facts. One, we were all created by God. We have no existence apart from God. Two, not only did Jesus create us, but he also paid the price by his own life and death for our salvation. So we have been doubly bought by God. Our world is rampant with abuse of various kinds. Sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, child abuse, elder abuse are happening all around us, whether we know it or not. These are not just private family affairs. Sometimes we incline to think if we think somebody is doing something that's abusive, well, that's that's their family deal. That that doesn't involve us. As Christians, we need to do everything we possibly can to avoid and prevent abuse of any kind in our homes or in our communities. Some of us may have grown up in an abusive family of one kind or another. It is so easy when that happens to carry on that tradition and abuse others around us, carry on that tradition and abuse others around us, including our own children. Or self-abuse. Yeah. If you find yourself in that position, pray for forgiveness for those who abused you and pray for the strength and Christian grace not to inflict abuse on others. So now try to imagine Joseph's thoughts over those 22 years in Egypt. As he was a technically a slave working for um, his... Potiphar, Potiphar. yeah. Uh, Just probably learning the English, I mean, sorry, the the Egyptian language and so forth. Uh, How did he feel, thinking back to his previous privileged position? And then think about being thrown in prison. How did he feel about it at that time? How did I get here? And then into that privileged position of being second in command in Egypt, did he did he have any? He must have had some idea that there was a famine in in in, Can- in Canaan as well. I, how, did he start wondering? Okay, when's the family going to show when up? Is the family when is the When are they going to come and ask for favors? Yeah, and I'm, he must have thought thought of those dreams. But especially over time, especially after conditions improved for him, no doubt he forgave his brothers. If Joseph had been inclined to perpetuate the abuse that had been inflicted upon him, upon others around him, we almost certainly would never have heard of him. But having forgiven his brothers and realized his necessity of a very close relationship with his Lord, Joseph had risen to the second highest position in the Egyptian government. Because abuse is such a common thing, psychological studies have been done on survivors of whatever kind of a tragedy might have been inflicted on them. And you can imagine, imagine being assigned, and some people have been assigned to do this, to study the survivors of the Holocaust. Yeah. 
Wow. These studies have demonstrated repeatedly that for those who survived, forgiveness was a key to find healing and getting their lives together again. Without forgiveness, we remain victims. We need to exercise forgiveness toward those who have mistreated us even more than those who have mistreated us need our forgiveness. So what do you think you would have done if you were Joseph? If your family members who had abused you were standing in front of you asking for food for survival, would you say, go home and starve? Joseph was determined that if possible, the jealousy and anger that had characterized his earlier experiences with his brothers would not be perpetuated. Of course, at that point, the brothers had no idea that Joseph understood everything they said among themselves. And what did Joseph learn from that overhearing? Myra? Genesis forty-two twenty-one 21-24. Reuben said, I told you not to harm the boy. But you wouldn't listen, and now we are being paid back for his death. Joseph understood what they said, but they did not know it because they were speaking to him through an interpreter. Joseph left them and began to cry. When he was able to speak again, he came back, picked out Simon, Simeon, Simeon, pardon me, and said, and had him tied up in front of them. Good news Bible. Joseph still loved those brothers, despite what they had done to him. As he listened to their conversations among themselves, he could not avoid crying. So he stepped out of the room and began to cry. Joseph knew something that his brothers did not know. He knew that one famine, I'm sorry, that the famine would continue for five more years. You're in trouble at year two, and there are five more years coming. They had gotten rid of Joseph, hoping that his dreams and his favoritism from their father would be out of their lives forever. But no doubt they had uh, been plagued by guilty consciences and a restlessness, even a paralyzing fear of God's retribution. So, did Joseph actually feel sorry for them? He was sorry enough that he cried. Finally, Joseph decided to pick out one of the brothers keep him in prison, and let the rest of them go home, promising that they would return with their youngest brother. He chose Simeon to remain in prison. Why Why was that, Gordon? Ellen White in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 225, says, Joseph, listening, could not control his emotions, and he went out and wept. On his return, he commanded that Simeon be bound before them and again committed to prison. In the cruel treatment of their brother, Simeon had been the instigator and chief actor, and it was for this reason that the choice fell upon him. So I wonder if any of them had any idea. Hmm, how did he know to pick out that guy? <laughs> did Joseph know that it was Simeon, or before, well, or did he they, must from have their heard. conversations going back and f- from know. their conversations that day, did he figure it out? It was eleven, at least eleven against one. So they, they weren't afraid to, to let known. They're going to get rid of him. What, what is it? What says, Benjamin. Okay. Benjamin was at home, so it was only. I I better, wait, you go, but yeah, I'm talking was, about. Oh, Reuben, they wanted to kill him. But yeah, Reuben says no. Just put him in. Put him in the pit. And we'll, we'll sell him uh, when they. Uh, so, uh, but they weren't afraid. No. 
We do not know how long it was before the brothers returned to Egypt. The travel time between Egypt and Palestine under normal circumstances on the road, the trade routes, was about two weeks. The brothers probably could have done it in even less time. Do you think Joseph had any conversations with Simeon while the, while he was being held in prison? He wouldn't have dared to do it in person. He would have had to do it through a translator. Did he try to find out anything more about the family? I mean, wouldn't you want to know? 22 years away? He might have had some interrogator down there, and, Mm. you know, Joseph was on the other side of a door or something listening. Yeah. I doubt he was in the room. Well, when the brothers returned with Benjamin, Joseph decided on a plan to try to find out if the old jealousy still existed. He invited them to a banquet... They must have wondered what in the world was going on. <laughs> and invited them to a banquet where Benjamin was served five times as much food as the others. I mean, I could see two times maybe, but five times? deserved it. I want to make sure that they understood Yes, he was getting more. When Joseph had determined that his brothers had really changed, he decided the time had come to tell them who he was. Genesis 45, 1 to 15. These are incredible words. Joseph was no longer able to control his feelings in front of his servants, so he ordered them all to leave the room. So that's the Egyptian service. No one else was with him when Joseph told his brothers who he was. He cried with such loud sobs that the Egyptians heard it and the news was taken to the king's palace. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And they're standing there. Yeah, the George would have. I, I, I think I, I think you'd be frozen solid. You wouldn't be able to move. But when his brothers heard this, they were so terrified they could not answer. Then Joseph said to them, "Please come closer." They did, and he said, "I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt." And Benjamin is saying, "What?" Now he do told not, us that he died. Yeah. You guys all told us that he was eaten by animals. Yeah. Now do not be upset or blame yourselves because you sold me here. It was really God who sent me ahead of you to save people's lives. This is the only the second year of a famine in the land. There will be five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor reaping. God sent me ahead of you to rescue you in this amazing way and to make sure that you and your descendants survive. And there are so many things, if you know, if you know the extra details that Ellen White gives in the story, like the fact that Abraham lied about his wife. And so therefore the Egyptians made that rule, well, anyone who herds, herds cattle and sheep must be kept separate. So that when they came down there, instead of just scattering out among the Egyptians and marrying among the Egyptians and disappearing into history, they were kept separate because they were different. So God made Abraham lie so that that would happen? Let me, let's just say that Romans 8, 28 says, in all things God works for good. So in spite of Abraham lying, lying, God God takes advantage. God worked it out that it came to good. And so now down through all these things, wow. I mean, yeah. And through all the experiences that Joseph went through and... Anyway. Uh, 
So it was not really you who sent me here, but God. He has made me the king's highest official. I am in charge of his whole country. I am the ruler of all Egypt. And if if they weren't in shock before that... That would top it off. Now, much of history, uh, Palestine was part of Egypt Mm -hmm. in reality. Was it at that time, or, or do we know? it was. Okay. So he was really rule over them. Yep. Yeah. Now, hurry back to my father and tell him that this is what his son Joseph says. God has made me ruler of all Egypt. Come to me without delay. Father saying, what was that you said? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 we get to see this, I think, in the panorama when, when God shows us the whole story. I, these these experiences. You can live in the region of Goshen where you can be near me, you, your children, your grandchildren, your sheep, your goats, your cattle, and everything else that you have. If you were in Goshen, I can take care of you. There will still be five years of famine, and I do not want you, your family, and your livestock to starve. Joseph continued, Now all of you, and you too, Benjamin, can see that I am really Joseph. Tell my father how powerful I am here in Egypt and tell him about everything that you have seen. Then hurry and bring him here. He threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and began to cry. Benjamin also cried and he hugged him. Uh, Then, still weeping, he embraced each of his brothers and kissed them. After that, his brothers began to talk with him. (laughs) He finally figured out how to talk again, huh? Wow. That, that had to be incredible finding out that it's Joseph, but now they have to go back and tell their father yep. that yep. Joseph is alive. Yeah, it's, good, it's good news, but it's bad news yeah. because we lied about it. All How did he years. get there? Well, we put him in, in the pit yeah. and then we sold him. You know, they have to confess. Yeah. They were right. They had it coming. They had it coming. Okay. What do you think of Joseph's elaborate plan to try to find out whether or not his brothers had changed? Did that plan cause either Joseph or his brothers to think through the issues and change their attitudes? I think think, uh, Joseph was quite within his rights and demanded of his position. If he hadn't, then word had got around, he might have had some answering to do too. What do you suppose they said to each other in prison? Lots. <laughs> <laughs> we have to be careful because Benjamin is there too. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. No, Benjamin is not no, there yet. They're, they're, not there yet. No, That's right. In prison. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, then Joseph just saying, I am Joseph. And they're going, I wonder if any of them fainted dead away. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, they must have been shocked. What emotion do you think came next? Was it fear? What do you think Benjamin was thinking? Suddenly, Joseph abandoned his position as an Egyptian ruler and hugged and kissed all of his brothers. What do you think was discussed as soon as they realized it was Joseph? Could the ten brothers really believe that Joseph had forgiven them? So what is forgiveness? And that's one of the things we want to focus on in this lesson. Forgiveness has been defined as a willingness to abandon one's right to resentment, condemnation, and revenge toward an offender or group 
who acted unjustly from our adult Sabbath school Bible study guide for Tuesday, August 10. Forgiveness does not just happen naturally. Christians believe that forgiveness should be a part of our belief system. And here's someone who did, who studied that kind of stuff. Dr. Marilyn Armour, a family therapist who worked with Holocaust survivors, in order to find out what these survivors had done to make sense of what had happened to them, writes, quote, the whole idea of forgiveness is an intentional act by the victim. It's not something that just happens. Again, for, from Tuesday, August, August 10. Well, forgiveness is a blessing from God and should be a, an obvious step to take if we are Christians. It does not come naturally. Forgiveness does not mean that there will be no consequences. Think of the consequences that all the ten brothers and Joseph had suffered during those 22 years. Did the brothers wonder what had happened to Joseph? When they went down to Egypt, were they wondering if there was any possibility that they might run into Joseph? Did they consider the fact that since they were foreigners, there was a possibility that they could end up being slaves as well? They called themselves slaves to Joseph, didn't they? What factors do you think must have transformed their lives from the time they sold Joseph into slavery until the time they saw him again and he revealed to them who he was? I mean, think of the ten brothers traveling back now. They sing, okay, what are we going to say about Simeon? What are we going to say about what we've done? What are we going to say to our father? How are we going to convince him? And then uh, with Benjamin on, with them on the way back, what did they talk about? Now, how old were these brothers? Uh, apparently, they were probably in their forties, at least. Yeah, thirties to forties. You know, we we have I have the picture from before. You know, here are these twenty-year-olds. Yeah. You know, but no, they're they're old men. <laughs> Not as old as Speaking, us. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's another angle, I think, too. If they had done something stupid right there, uh, it was good to get the young one in. But Joseph, being the the big boss, if they made a run for it, they could he could have got Egyptian troops on chariots, and they would never have moved. Absolutely. They were noted for that. So what factors do you think must have transformed their lives from the time of selling Joseph into slavery until the time they saw him again and revealed to them who he was? Did their relationship with God, did their relationship with God that characterized their elderly father begin to impact them? Wow. What has Jesus told us about forgiving those who wrong us or even sinning against us? Jim? Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, if my brother keeps on sinning against me, how many times do I have to forgive him? Seven times? No, not seven times, answered Jesus, but 70 times seven, because the kingdom of heaven is like this. Once there were a, was a king who decided to check on his servants' accounts. He had just begun to do so when... One of them was brought to him, to, excuse me, was brought in who owed him millions of pounds. The servant did not have enough to pay his debt, and so the king ordered him to be sold as a slave with his wife and his children and all that he had in order to pay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before the king 
Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you everything. (laughs) What are the chances? The king felt sorry for him, so he forgave him the debt and let him go. Wow. Then the man went out and met one of the fellow servants who owed him a few pounds. He grabbed him and started choking him. Pay back what you owe me, he said. His fellow servant fell down and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had him thrown into jail until he should pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were very upset and went to the king and told him everything. So he called the servant in. You worthless slave, he said. I forgave you the whole amount you owed me just because you asked me to. Excuse me, just because you asked me. And you should have had mercy on your fellow servant that as just as I had mercy upon you. The king was very angry, and he sent the servant to jail to be punished until he should pay back the whole amount. And Jesus concluded, That is how my Father in heaven will treat every one of you unless you forgive your brother with your heart. Now, was God threatening him, or Jesus threatening him with that? Hmm. Or is just explaining how things work? I think he's explaining how things work. Well, this passage begins with the famous statement by Jesus that we should need to forgive those who sin against us 490 times. Let's see. Okay, next time, 491. Don't have to forgive them anymore, right? Gary, you want to tell us about what the thinking was in those days? Yes. One school of rabbinical thought taught that you should have mercy and forgive six times. After the sixth offense, justice was due. Thinking it would please the master, Peter asked if forgiving someone up to seven times was enough. With a classic answer, Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. As from Matthew 18.22, New King James Version. Seventy times seven is 490. What Jesus was saying is simply this. I bore along with Israel even in their apostrophe and rebellion for 490 years. Peter, my mercy is limitless. My forgiveness is ever-present. My love can never be exhausted. That's from the Sabbath School Study Guide, 95. (coughs) It says, Be ye merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Mm -hmm. It was in Matthew, uh, be perfect, but merciful. Uh, You can't you can fake love, but you can't fake mercy. Think about that. Wow. Yeah. So what do you think about that parable that Jesus told as an illustration? It's easy to... We've heard lots of sermons for that matter about the 490, but the parable? It's hard to imagine how someone could have gotten into so much debt to the king. On the other hand, it's hard to imagine how the king could have been so generous as to forgive him everything. However, the shocking thing was how the man went out and treated his fellow servant. Jesus concluded with some frightening words, That is how my Father in heaven will treat every one of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. Is that what God is really like, the way that sounds? 
When the, when the Bible says God is love, does that sound like God is love? You got the story with with the master, and and when he, he they worked all day, and then he got mm-hmm. some toward the end of the time, and and he, he gave everybody the same pay. Those have been working all all day, and some were just work uh, toward the end. I think that's more like God. I think this is a rather harsh uh, uh, well picture. Even that picture raises a lot of questions. He paid the people who came to work at eleven. Well, eleven hour, eleventh hour in the day, he paid them first, so everybody had to watch him pay those people more money. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're going to do that, at least pay the pay the people who worked all day long, pay them first, and let them go until they find they don't need to find out what you're paying the other people. Yeah. I heard a sermon by Morris Venden once on mm-hmm. on that parable, and he said the reward of those who worked all day was that they got to be with a master who was so loving and kind that he would treat those who came at the end the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember that. I think remember that sermon? used to mention that similar uh, yeah. story on that. Yeah. yeah. So what? It, it struck me so much that yeah. one day, one time when I had to give a sermon, I basically used that. I think you, I think you did the, the right thing because it's, it's uh, that. I think that's a much better picture of God than. Uh, you know, everything belongs to the Creator. Mm-hmm. Jesus is a teacher, teach you how to do things. I mean, he had, we speculate that God could, Jesus could do all of this, but he, uh, doesn't, it's not his character to, to take revenge. Yeah. It, we can say, well, God has the power. That isn't the way God is. Stop speculating on what he isn't. It's just, God is always love. And love means you have to have, have the freedom to really mess yourself up. Mm-hmm. I, was, I listen to Dennis Prager from uh, quite often when I'm driving. I just happen to be driving at that hour. Sometimes he says, uh, he just can't stand the idea. If God doesn't punish the the, the bad dudes as, as what is appropriate, have no respect for him. Uh, he... he and this idea of, he's used some pretty harsh words about about this God is love business, but uh, I, I, love has been ill defined. I think it's mm-hmm. just love is the freedom to blow everything. It isn't uh, God standing there with a with a bullwhip to, to whip you in line. The interesting thing about the Bible is there's so many different pictures of God that you can take from the Bible. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which one or which ones do you pay attention to and which ones do you say? Well, uh, you know what God says. He's supposed to figure out how to put them all together. Yeah. I, think I, I think you're misinterpreting this, putting the harsh end on this this statement. Because it's saying, that is how my Father in Heaven will treat you as the King. That's a good one. Yeah. Treated, not as the servant treated his fellow servant. Yeah. That's a good, I, I like that, tie that up that way. Yeah. But well, the king treated that first servant that he owed millions of, of pounds, quote unquote, or dollars. In the end, he treated him kind of rough. Yeah, but how, and how, how, is, how is the servant going to pay back if he's in prison? What do they do, exactly. breaking rocks? Well, he put him back in prison, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the servant was probably ripping the king off anyway. <laughs> he didn't have all that great... that amount of money, yeah. yeah. What can we learn from this story about our own behavior? Do we recognize the depths of our debt to God for the way he has forgiven us? 
we have sinned not only against God, but also against our fellow human beings in, in many ways. Can we really be forgiven for all of that? Do we recognize what an incredible thing it is that God, that God has been so, it is that God has been so gracious toward us? The issue is not forgiveness. Mm-hmm. That's the way God is. Mm-hmm. The question is, do we want to learn how to live? Mm-hmm. Change our mind. That's what, that's what the, what the healing is. A sin is not a, a sin is a disease. It's not a breaking of rules. Yeah. It is a learning to how to live. But I think that's why that last part of Matthew eighteen thirty five it says, "Forgive your brother from your heart." Yeah, and you can't force that. Yeah, yeah. Forgiveness is not what's needed. Right. It's the change of change heart. Your thinking, repent yeah. is is, yeah. is turning around. Yeah. And but unfortunately, translations, Bible translations, are now getting so much into forgiveness. In uh, several places in the King James, it says. Uh, Remission. Remission. They use the term remission, but they, they, now they'd use that word, which, in other words, stop doing it. If you got uh, cancer, what do you need? Forgiveness? No, you need healing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a healing of the way you think. Mm-hmm. Imagine Jesus giving up his role as a supreme commander in heaven, coming to this earth, um, being willing to live as one of us, working as a humble carpenter for many years, then carrying out that incredible ministry, and finally dying that awful, cruel death. How much are you willing to suffer for the benefit of those who have wronged you? We, we talk about, the, about the, uh, in heaven, the camp commander. You know, the problem of evil rose right there. Mm-hmm. And so that is love. Permission. Why is there evil? Why does evil exist? God is love. Love means you have to have the freedom to blow it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. God has offered you healing, and which is part of, is education to change your thinking. I keep mm-hmm. think of what we know about the family of Jacob before Joseph was sold into slavery. I'm sorry. Clearly, there were jealousies, there was hatred, etc. Suddenly, the brothers were forgiven and Joseph was hugging them. What emotions do you think they were going through at that point? If you were the fourth or fifth or sixth brother that he came to, were you, would you would you have worried that he wasn't he wouldn't hug you? Did he hug Simeon? How many years was this? After? Twenty-two years. Twenty-two. Well, there was some maturity, perhaps, gone. Yeah. And they they had some kids themselves, and if they had some training from yeah. from Joseph, they yeah. might have learned a few things over time. Well, were they willing to accept Joseph's forgiveness? If Joseph had taken a different approach to them and had a different attitude about them, the story would have ended up very differently. In Romans four seven and eight, the Apostle Paul quoted some words about forgiveness. They come from Psalm 32, verse 1, which David wrote after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Carrie, I think that's yours. Yes, Romans 4, verses 7 and 8. Happy are those whose wrongs are forgiven, whose sins are pardoned. Happy is the person who sins the Lord, will not keep the account of. From the Good News Bible. That's another way of saying what he said over in Jeremiah, I will no longer remember their wrongs. Yeah. 
Think about what happens as we choose to forgive. First of all, we must admit that we have been a victim in one way or another. That may be hard to do. Our first reaction might be to try to just forget it all. But as Christians, we need to find ways to work through any unchristian feelings. Similar feelings are expressed in a number of places in, in the Psalms. No doubt the most incredible example of forgiveness is found in Luke twenty three thirty four. Myra? Yes, Jesus said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they are doing. And what were they doing right at that point in time? Hanging him on the cross. They were nailing him to the cross. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That That is an amazing thing about Jesus' and, experience there. And also the prodigal son is yeah. another extremely important uh, yeah. lesson. And another one that goes with it is his forgiving the prostitute who came to him and and, that, and those those expressions are so out of character from what people's normal thinking was that some of the early people who copied the Bible left those things out. That those just couldn't be true. Mm-hmm. You know, so different from what they think Jesus should have done. Uh, leave that part out. And this is one verse that's that's left out by some. When you think how the the uh terrible stuff they did to him the whipping with the bits of metal in there it's a wonder he had any blood left to allow yeah. him to talk yeah it's uh well we have suggested here repeatedly and I would like to say it again and just as bluntly as I can God is forgiveness personified he does not even wait for us to act, ask for forgiveness he just forgives everyone This does not mean that there are no consequences to our behavior. Forgiveness is not the only requirement for salvation, as many think. But Jesus went even further in talking about how we should treat those who have mistreated us. Luke 6.28 Bless those who curse you, and pray for those who ill-treat you. And in Matthew 5.44 But now I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Like Christian love, forgiveness only happens because of a conscious choice. We have to choose to forgive even if our emotional state is trying to push us in the other direction. We are told to pray for those who have hurt us. That would not be possible except for Christian, for Christian background. Forgiveness is not easy. We're not trying to suggest, okay, this is the easy thing to do. Depending upon how bad we have been treated, it may leave us devastated, hurt, crippled, even broken. But by taking the Christian approach, healing will come. The results will be so much better than holding on to bitterness, anger, and resentment. Now from our Bible study guide we read, the cross is the best example of what it cost God himself to forgive us. If the Lord can go through that for us, even though he knew that so many would nevertheless reject him, then we certainly can learn to forgive as well. That's from August, uh, Wednesday, August 11. Is there someone whom you can think of that you need to forgive? Don't We don't need any public confessions right now. Just think about it. And you out there, 
Is there somebody that you need to forgive? We come now to the final act in this part of Joseph's story. His family arrived in Egypt. Everyone knows the full story of what happened. Try to imagine how Jacob felt when he learned the truth about how the brothers had treated Joseph. You know, did he want to turn them all over his knee? I mean, he's he's a hundred and what twenty years old or something like that now. Yeah, he could he could have even suffered up just the fact that he found out at last they were still alive. He was. And how did he feel when he he saw Joseph again, even though he was dressed as an Egyptian ruler? We do not know how much contact Joseph had with his family during those 17 years up until the time when Jacob died. He had obviously arranged for them to settle in Goshen, one of the most prosperous and fertile areas in Egypt. But Joseph was a busy man. He had a lot of work to do. We do not know what Joseph's role was after the end of the famine. Considering what we know about Joseph's administrative abilities from Pharaoh's time to the prison through Egypt, I suspect that the Pharaohs probably said, you know, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a marvelous job. Yeah. Yeah. I think he ran the IRS. I see. (laughs) Okay. We do know that the entire nation of Egypt was in debt to Pharaoh and the government because of what Joseph had done. Likely they were all treated as landholders even renters, and had to pay a portion of their harvest each year to the government. What do we call that today? Taxes. Taxes. After Jacob died and the whole family had traveled to Palestine to bury Jacob in the family uh, grave, the brothers returned to Egypt and felt that they needed to settle accounts with Joseph. By the way, this is not part of our story, but when Joseph finally died, what did he tell them to do with his bones? Take him to Canaan and put him in the family grave. He did not want to be left in Egypt. Okay. Um, I guess this is mine. Genesis 50, 15 to 21. After the death of their father, Joseph's brother said, What if Joseph still hates us and plans to pay us back for all the harm we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph. They didn't go there. They (laughs) sent a message. Before our father died, he told us to ask you, please forgive the crime your brothers committed when they wronged you. Now please forgive us the wrong that we, the servants of your father's God, have done. Joseph cried when he received this message. Then his brothers themselves came and bowed down before him. I wonder if anybody's remembering a certain dream. Here we are before you as your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. I can't put myself in the place of God. You plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good. So that's Romans 8, 28. In order to preserve the lives of many people who are alive today because of what happened. You have nothing to fear. I will take care of you and your children. So he reassured them with kind words that touched their hearts. Well, what do you think? Were the brothers still worried about that Joseph had not really forgiven them? Were they really expecting some kind of revenge? Joseph's kind handling of all of them, even after the father's death, was certainly refreshing 
and showed that he was a forerunner of Jesus Christ. What didn't God choose? Uh, I'm sorry. Why didn't God choose Joseph as an ancestor of Jesus rather than Judah? But we know the behavior of Judah. He yes. was out with, uh, turned out to be his daughter-in-law. He thought it was a prostitute. Yeah. Why didn't God choose Joseph, who we have nothing bad in the Bible mm-hmm. written about him, except maybe his arrogance? Well, well his descendants would have been uh, Ephraim. Ephraim and, he, and Manasseh. His, his bunch weren't very good. No, they Manasseh weren't. Manasseh didn't even count Even for, less. So it's... Uh, maybe it's a good thing, huh? You end up with a lot of generation skipping, don't we? <laughs> and it's, it's true yeah. today. Well, there are many interesting parallels between the story of Joseph and the story of Jesus. Tim, I think that's yours. As Joseph was sold to the heathen by his own brothers, so Christ was sold to his bitterest enemies by one of his disciples. Joseph was falsely accused and thrust into prison because of his virtue. So Christ was despised and rejected because his righteous, self-denying life was a rebuke to sin. And though guilty of no wrong, he was condemned upon the testimony of false witnesses and Joseph's patience and meekness under injustice and oppression, his his ready forgiveness and noble benevolence toward his unnatural brothers represent the Savior's uncomplaining endurance of the malice and abuse of wicked men, and his forgiveness not only of his murderers, but also of those who have come to him confessing their sins and seeking pardon. Ellen White, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 239 and 40. Okay, nothing can justify an unforgiving spirit. He who is unmerciful toward others shows that he himself is not a partaker of God's pardoning grace. And God's forgiveness, the heart of the erring one, is drawn close to the great heart of infinite love. The tide of divine compassion flows into the sinner's soul and from him to the souls of others. The tenderness and mercy that Christ has revealed in his own precious life will be seen in those who become sharers of his grace. Ellen White, Christ's Obligations, 251. Someone once said, not forgiving is like drinking poison while hoping that the other person will die. (laughs) Why did they say that? What does that mean? You're, you're, you're beating up on yourself, you're, you're poisoning yourself because you're refusing to forgive, and you're hoping that that other person is gonna suffer some kind of terrible result. Description of insanity, doesn't it? Yeah. We know that very difficult times are ahead for those living through the final days of this world's history, but we can be assured of one thing. Carrie, wanna read that? We got about a couple minutes left. It's from Desire of Ages. God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. That's from page 224 and 5. Okay, it's important to notice in that quotation, God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning. Now, that... This is talking about God's leading. If we're following God, then things are fine. This doesn't mean that what we do when we're not following God is a good thing. 
This is just talking about the times when we're actually following God. So, how should we respond to what we have learned in this lesson? Does forgiving someone justify his or her behavior? Does it mean that we need to treat him or her as if it had never happened? Is that a dangerous thing to do? How does forgiveness, forgiving someone affect future relationships? Joseph could have been angry because of many things that happened to him. There is no hint in the biblical record that he had any such feelings. Joseph obviously made the best of whatever his circumstances were. Can we do that? It is undoubtedly true that forgiveness facilitates healing of broken relationships. Christians should forgive others because Jesus has forgiven them. Forgiveness is really genuine when we forgive others when they do not deserve it. Isn't that how God treats us? At what point in this whole story do you think Joseph decided that his brother's change was genuine? Were they really sorry for what they had done to him? Had they changed? The devil certainly was hoping that this story would end up differently than it did. The devil must have tried very hard to convince Joseph to hate and have evil feelings toward his brothers. Did Joseph ever have any resentment against his father for favoring him? Sin hurts everyone, not only the one involved in the evil, but also others around as well. But God is the great healer. He has the capacity to repair all damage if we choose to allow God to do that for us. Nothing the devil can do to us will matter. So, I hope we've learned some real lessons from this story, and and I hope you take them to heart. Let's pray. Our kind and loving Father, what a privilege it is to read of stories like this with such a glorious, glorious ending. Can you help us behave as Joseph did on those occasions and be kind to those around us? To reach out to those who are suffering, to those who have nothing, those who are homeless, those who are, are ill. Help us to know how to treat them in a loving and kind way that makes them think, at least in a, in a little way, what you would have, how you would have treated them if you were here. We want to be your hands and your feet and your heart of love toward all those around us. Help us to do that as our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.